Hello everyone, uh, I wanted to add a little note to the beginning of this week's episode. Uh, we recorded this one three weeks ago before the killing of George Floyd, which sparked off a worldwide series of protests. Um, I didn't feel right releasing this episode without saying anything about it. Punk Lotto Pod is an anti-racist podcast. Uh, we support the Black Lives Matter movement and are strongly in favor of defunding the police. Um, if you are able to, able to please help, uh, whether it be by showing up at the protests, donating money to your local bail funds. Um, I personally donated to the Charlotte Uprising Bail Fund, and I know Dylan has uh, been part of protests in Phoenix last week, and he's donated money as well. I bring this up not just to highlight that oh look at me i'm doing such a great thing but i wanted to i wanted to make sure that people know that this is not just lip service like this is something we truly believe in if you go out and protest please be careful we are still in the middle of a pandemic wear a mask quarantine yourself 14 days if possible Um, look up ways to stay safe uh, from tear gas and pepper spray and if you're going to a protest and are white, please listen to the black organizers and follow their lead. These are their lives we are fighting for. Um, if you donate, please send money to local bail funds, the ACLU, Reclaim the Block, Black Lives Matter, Black Visions Collective, uh, to the families of the victims of police violence. Uh, there are so many different GoFundMes and places that you could send money to. So. Um, we love you, and please stay safe out there, and enjoy the episode, if you can. You know what really makes us mad? is wasting money on CDs with only one or two good songs. Yeah. Tell them about punk! What's up, posers? Welcome to Punk Lotto Pod. I'm your co-host, Justin Hensley. I am your other co-host, Dylan Hensley. And joining us today is the owner and operator of the online art and music store and merch store of uh, The Machine Shop, and Lapore. And how's it going? Hello, it's going well. <laughs> is that an accurate description of uh, The Machine Shop? <laughs> Um, sure. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I, when we started it, we had like the tagline where art and music collide. So you got it right. Yeah. I mean, I know you (laughs) have a lot of original art in your store is the, for people who haven't heard you on the show before, your store is uh, the main online merch source for Capiguli and a handful of other artists. Yep. Yep. And, and uh, I have some original like t-shirts and stuff mm-hmm. like that um, and just like music that i like and i just wanted to get out there to the world yeah it's definitely a really cool site and if you haven't been to it before or uh yet go, go check it out uh, and we'll have links and stuff in our show notes as well um hope everyone is staying safe in the choir the <laughs> the the current world we're living in is a little weird then uh we'll probably continue that way for a while but you know we're here and uh just stay home and wear your mask (laughs) since we've taken a break this will be the first episode we do in our new format and modified yeah yeah modified is yeah probably more accurate we so improved 
<laughs> I think so. More streamlined. <laughs> or more ergonomic. We're not going to do EPs on the show anymore. They're... EPs have a really important place in punk rock. I'd say punk is probably one of the genres that utilize the EP to its best potential. And there's so many like great EPs out there. But it was getting increasingly difficult in finding streams for EPs and actual EPs and not like a demo or a single. It, plus, it's just hard to research two bands in every episode. <laughs> <laughs> so this will be the first one without our EPs. But, you know, that's not to say that we'll never talk about an EP ever again. So yeah, I think we'll find a way to include that format mm-hmm. in the future. We'll just do some tweaking, I think. Yeah. And also, we're slightly changing how we're selecting our albums to discuss. Before, it uh, originally started as just completely random, and then it turned into a version where we just pulled a bunch of options and then gave them to our guests to choose from. And then oh, now we've just, <laughs> in, in for the sake of simplicity and for our guests wanting to talk about these records... <laughs> Uh, we've decided we are now just going to assign our guests a year and then allow them to pick any punk or punk-related record from that year. So um, I think this will be this will create a little bit more um, deeper conversation. You know, I feel yeah. like people can talk about things more that they already love than just being like, "Well, that record's all right." Yeah. <laughs> it took us too many episodes to realize that not everyone wants to subject themselves to really obscure punk records mm-hmm. uh, and then like dissect them. Um, <laughs> you mean sorry. everyone isn't like us? <laughs> sorry to anyone who got some real uh, duds, but <laughs> reach we, out we'll to us. We'd love to have you back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let you talk about something you actually like. <laughs> so for this uh, episode, and we assigned you the year 1984. tell us which album you picked uh we thought we would talk about a couple other records that came out this year that sounds great sure so 1984 was a very interesting year for american punk and hardcore there this is the time period when a lot of the hardcore bands are starting to evolve their sound into i guess what would become post-hardcore or even involving some more like post-punk elements and the perfect example are 
is um, probably my favorite record from 1984, and it's uh, Double Nickels on the Dime by the Minutemen. It's pretty much a perfect record for me. I don't I don't know if that everyone else feels as, the same way about this record, but I genuinely love the Minutemen. They're probably my favorite band from this time period, and this record is just like a monster. It's a double LP with 50 songs or something like it's close to 50 songs i don't know the exact number <laughs> at this point but i i genuinely love this record a lot yeah this is a big and a very ambitious year for punks because one of my favorite records uh, of all time and one of my favorite bands from this time period probably my number one band from this time period is zen arcade by husker do another double record <laughs> everyone wanted to make their tommy <laughs> I guess. Um, <laughs> when did Santa needs to come out? That was like 80, wasn't it? Is that a triple? That's the triple, yeah. I mean, London Calling was 79, so there, there's precedent. But um, <laughs> yeah, this is, the, this is the shift. I mean, hardcore was such a new thing still at this point. Mm-hmm. And it's already, I mean, I guess that's just punk. Always always wanting, wanting to get a little further out there, but shifting towards post-hardcore and some more experimental sounds. Hmm. Interesting, you guys. <laughs> um, <laughs> I I really love Zen Arcade. I think it's awesome. I I'm, I have never really fully gelled with the Minutemen. I, I don't dislike them. I think it's, I just, I just haven't really, like, spent a lot of time with them. So maybe that'll be like a little assignment for me until the next time we talk. I can, because um, I gave you guys an assignment to uh, <laughs> listen to the fall and I made a playlist for you. So maybe you can make me a, a Minutemen playlist. Um, oh, that'd be fun. I would, I would like that very much because I, I really only know like <laughs> hits. Obviously there's no hits, mm-hmm. but you know, the songs that everyone knows. Um, I have not spent more than a minute listening to the minute man. Well, that's great because a lot of their songs are a minute or less. So. <laughs> that's great because I love minute or less songs. <laughs> yeah, that'll be fun. I, I I should do that. I should put together a, a playlist of uh, minute man songs. Yeah, that'd be fun. They really are one of my favorite bands from this time period, and they're very different. They they were so closely tied with the hardcore scene, and their style is so much more unique. Like. They're not nearly as heavy as any band that they're associated with, but they definitely played fast. And they, yeah, they, they're not jangle, jangle pop at all, <laughs> but their guitars, I, I feel like, I don't know, were an influence on that sound slightly. I don't know. I, I've never looked too deep into that, but yeah, they have, they have a ton of material as well. So yeah, I definitely have stuff of theirs. I, I, de- I have this album, I'm sure. But like I said, it's the kind of thing that I think, I don't know if I, I always thought maybe they were like a little too jazzy for me and I just kind of moved on. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, well, speaking of jazz, uh, we'll, we'll talk about that with our album later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, but uh, speaking of the fall and there's a, there's a mm-hmm. fall record in 84. There is a fall record in 84. Where does this one the- land for you? Well, it's funny because I was thinking about, I was like, oh, this is a great album. Um, I, I love this album, The Wonderful and Frightening World of the Fall. But then when I looked at my playlist that I made for you guys, not one song from this album is on that playlist, which means 
not even one song from this album made it into a playlist of 29 songs. Now, that doesn't mean it's not a really, really great album. I just really love The Fall a lot. So, it, you know, it was I was trying to make a, a playlist that was like lean and 29 songs with lean. It may it was probably like two by four was probably like in an original incarnation of this. I want to say I've heard that song by them. Yeah. At some I don't, point. I don't so. know. I don't know. It's I think it's really it's a really good one. It's obviously there's doesn't contain one of my top 29 songs of theirs. But <laughs> Slang King is another really. Um, so, yeah, I, I 84 is really interesting year for me um because i was in high school and like ending my sophomore year starting my junior year and you know that's like a really like seminal time for people (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. so and and for me this is this is the time like i was already i had been exposed to music and, and to punk pretty early and at this point though this is really when everything started happening for me for when I was like really getting like heavily into music when music became my life between like 83 and 85 this is when like the identity of me as a person who loves punk and who loves music and that's how I would identify myself that's when it all gelled this is like a a pretty big year like it's a weird like transitionary year but there's also just a lot of records from really well-known bands that uh, they're, I don't know if they're necessarily their most classic records, but they're still pretty well-regarded. One of them is uh, Susie and the Banshees, Hyena. I know, Anne, you're a fan of Susie, and I listened to about half of this record before we started recording today, just because I ran out of time. But um, do you have any thoughts on this particular record? I do. I do. I'm glad you you mentioned that. To for me, this it this is like a cutoff point where I'm I don't like it as much anymore. This is probably like the first album that I like like I don't like listen to a lot. I mean, there are some really good songs on it, but I feel like it drags at times. It's I don't think it's like track like the order of the songs is great. So there's times when I'm just like bored and like you know so i i feel like this is to me when they started to lose their really like their, their what's i thought was exciting about them do you like uh the following record tinderbox or is it less the same <laughs> uh, i i like that less than this oh. everything hmm. after this goes down in my esteem because <laughs> i listened to tinderbox a couple weeks ago for the first time because um i'm I'm doing a project on my own where I'd listen to major records from 1986 that I've never heard. So as the year I was born. So I listened to that one a few weeks ago and I loved it. And I was, so I was curious to see if, if it's just everything after hyenas where you just stop listening or if uh, you like that one too. I I like some of the later stuff, but I, I think for me, they, I, they no longer released any albums that I would like stand behind after that. Hmm. There's definitely songs that I like. And I, I like some of the songs that are kind of crappy to like, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, I'm not a real big fan of the dance. You know, I don't really like it when they started doing a more disco. 
like cities and deaths, I would consider like kind of a, their disco time, you know, and, and then on after that. So that's kind of how I feel. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I, I would go back to Tinderbox and check it out yeah. again. It's definitely more pop centric. So then maybe that's part of it. Uh, but then they, they went in a weird direction later. Like the uh, 88 record would, was a peekaboo is the big single off that record. Yeah, it's, it's like kind of an odd one. It's the next one, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it just they just kind of like I don't know. I feel like what I thought of like what they were, that's like a totally different thing. And that's okay. Like bands should do whatever they want. But it's just not for me. But the, yeah. I mean that happens a lot with bands. It's so rare that like somebody likes a oh, a band's entire catalog from beginning to end is if they have a big catalog yeah. like that. Another 1984 record is uh, from another one of your favorite bands, though. Uh, is the Ramones with "Too Tough to Die"? I was actually just going to bring that one up. Too <laughs> Tough to Die. I love, love, love this album, and I'm sure really? that anybody. This is the kind of thing like I think people who are older than me probably like would say this. Wondering if this is the album they think is the cutoff, or the maybe Subterranean Jungle, the album before this, would they would say is the cutoff of when they weren't good anymore. But I totally disagree because again, this you know I was in my sophomore junior year of high school, like, and this album came out, and the Ramones were my favorite band already at that point. Mm -hmm. So I was like. And every album that came out after this, like I remember like the day it came out and I remember going to get it and being so excited. And I saw them a lot for starting from like 83, 84. I saw them tour on this album and I bought my first shirt, you know, from this album, maybe. And uh, I, I think I think it's great. I don't care how corny anyone thinks it is. <laughs> I love every single second of it corny or not howling at the moon i don't care what you have to say i love it <laughs> <laughs> i haven't spent as much time with this one but you mentioned subterranean jungle and that's one of my favorite ramones records i love that out of their entire too. discography like it's yeah i love that too i think it's great but i people who are like older than me like my friends who like were seeing the ramones like very early on like i i think they feel like they were falling apart at that point I mean, yeah. there's plenty of like really killer songs on this record too. I mean, it makes sense why you love it because it was new when you were young, so it makes sense. But even like me looking at it, you know, I was born in '86. I love like Mama's Boy and Too Tough to yeah. Die and Warthog and Durango. They open like every I show know. with Durango. Every show with Durango '95. <laughs> it's like from that point on, and like even like I, I think Chase in the Night. I love that song. It just makes me happy, and like the end, like. Endless vacation, you know, that's okay. No go. I, I think that's a great ender. It's like if it's up. I like when bands like end the album with like an up song. I think bands should do that when they play live, also. I think I may have talked about this before, but like ending the show with an up song is like to me really crucial. And I don't know why bands do this. And my friend Ron is the one who pointed this out to me. I might have said this before in a podcast. I Agree with my friend Ron. Bands should not end a show with someone else's song. I just think it's a mistake. <laughs> like end a song, end the show with your own song. Don't <laughs> leave them thinking about the cover of Rockaway Beach that you did. Like that. 
I just think, I don't know. I don't understand that. But anyway, everyone does it now. It's like hot standard practice now to end the show with someone else. I feel like the best way to do it is like, yeah, you could do it towards the end of the set because it's a nice, like, it kind of gets people like pumped up again because they're like, oh, a song I know. Like maybe if they're not like the most familiar with the band they're seeing live, but you know, it's kind of the point of a cover is to play something to get the energy up again before the, right, right. the go home. But yeah, you're right. They shouldn't end on the cover. They should and do... And a lot of people are doing that now. Especially a Ramones song. I've noticed a lot like that. <laughs> I mean, I maybe either do it as the last song before an encore, if you're doing an encore, or the song before the last song. Like, I, I don't know. Or the song that you come back from the encore from. You know, like, because you want people to remember your you and your thing. Like, that's <laughs> why you're playing. But yeah. I don't know how I got onto that. <laughs> um, thing talking about this but yeah i think i think this is a great album i but you know the ramones are my favorite band and i i love i love almost everything that they did i i i have you know one album i think is terrible but <laughs> is know. that the uh covers one the no no i love that album i think it's great i i think i'm a real rarity in, in this opinion i i think they did a very fine job with those songs and <laughs> and i like those songs and i i i've i i don't think there's a bad song on that album yeah, i mean the that album is mondo bizarro by the way. that's right we, <laughs> i remember you saying that at one point yeah, yeah. and even then I, I named like the one good song on that record <laughs> which is that's like poison heart <laughs> right. <laughs> Actually, there's a, there. You know what? I have come back to this album because I I'm always saying how much I hate it, and I don't. I've changed my feeling that I shouldn't say I hate it. My least favorite of all of Ramon's songs are on <laughs> this album. You know, censorship. I think is terrible. The job that ate my brain is terrible. The worst song they ever wrote of all time is Cabbies on Crack. Terrible. <laughs> that that's officially their worst song. Heidi is a head kid. But in between, maybe from like Poison Heart to like Tomorrow She Goes Away, like a, that that's actually like a not a terrible group of songs. Well, I think uh, it's got strength to endure on there, and that's one of my favorites of yeah, late, and that, that's, later moments. that's in there. So if you can like, I would say let's cut this album, <laughs> get rid of the first two songs. Get oh. <laughs> Get rid of the last three songs. And actually, I Won't Let It Happen isn't so good either. So we're going to go from Poison Heart to Tomorrow She Goes Away. It's like a nice little 10-inch EP. And suddenly, I love Mondo Bizarro. <laughs> yeah, we get off topic crazy. Sorry, uh, sorry. <laughs> anyway, Too Tough to Die is great. Yeah. I was looking at other 1984 records, and there's a couple I'll, I'll just kind of throw out. Like I'm not, we're not gonna spend a ton of time on time on them. Sam Hain put out Initium. That's the first Sam Hain record after the Misfits. Pretty good. It still has the Misfits vibe. It just gets a little darker, you know. And and it goes along with kind of what was going on in '84 with all the first wave of American Hawker bands are now, you know, trying something different, you know going with a heavier direction. This is around the same time period that uh, a lot of the uh, Hardcore bands started doing thrash records, like or the glam records. There's yeah. a TSOL record, yeah. Change Today. Yeah, it's. I love that album. It's. I think it's the first record with their new vocalist, and it has a little bit of a goth vibe to it, but Definitely. it shifts that sound to like you know two records later they start doing the full on like Motley Crue type stuff. <laughs> you know that's bad. 
(laughs) (laughs) But also, SSD put out their giant hard rock, glam rock record. Who else had some other stuff? Like, there's there's a few others that were doing the same thing at the same time. This is um, also the year of uh, Meat Puppets 2. Oh, I love Meat Puppets 2. I think it's great. That's their big... That's the one everyone always points to with the meat puppets. I'm not super into them, but uh, yeah. yeah. I don't know if I point to that. Let me see. I can't remember if. Oh, yeah. yeah, Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's a great, really great album. But I mean, it's so different than anything. It's so different. You know what I mean? It's not like any of the kind of stuff that it doesn't really like uh, fit into what somebody would think if they would say, what do you like to listen to? And then I would play this album. For them, they'd be like, you like that? <laughs> um, well, then but... they would recognize that one song that Nirvana covered on that record, too. Oh. That's that's the one where, um, oh, what's it called? Where the bad folks go when they die. Lake of Fire. Oh, wait, Nirvana does that? <laughs> yeah, it, was, it was part of the Unplugged no. album. Yeah, that's a good song. I mean, it's a it's a great meat pub. It's my the first song is like my favorite song, Split Myself in Two. I listened to a little bit of it today, and I, I saw someone tag it as cowpunk, and for the longest time, I never really knew what cowpunk was, and then when I read that, I was like, oh, cowpunk, okay, <laughs> I know what this is now. <laughs> <laughs> Echo and the Bunnymen put out Ocean Rain that year as well, which I think was a pretty big commercial hit for them. Yeah, that's um, like the, that's like the, they're they're big the big one for sure yeah we talked about heaven up here in 81 and i think i like that sound a little better than ocean rain but yeah ocean rain had the had like the big single on it the pogues released their first record red roses for me i don't think it's quite as well known as some of the records that came after that but uh there they are birthing uh celtic punk and uh give it a meh i give them a meh (laughs) I, i give their whole entire catalog meh (laughs) <laughs> I, I don't get it <laughs> this is also the time period where like the the other wave of hardcore bands kind of were doing stuff so like d cruising put out their self-titled that year there's an articles of faith record and a battalion of saints record so and those three bands are always like tied in my mind as the other hardcore bands that people don't go to as frequently but maybe are better than we expect them to be Articles of Faith are so great. Really great. People should definitely check them out. I, I've never gotten into like Battalion of Saints so much, but I, I think Articles of Faith are just really right on. And uh, <laughs> uh, 1984, we have talked about previously when we discussed flippers going gone fishing. <laughs> your, your infamous flipper episode. <laughs> Enough said. The episode that spawned a million bad reviews. <laughs> oh, oh, you know what came out in 84? Um, the Crew by Seven Seconds. Yep. Oh, yeah. Which That's... is perfect. A perfect album. Perfect, uh, you know, for what it, it it's supposed to be. You know, that that music, that time period. I love it. It, it was my favorite album of that kind of music for, you know, that time period. Is that the record that clicks for seven seconds? Like, is that the one that people are like, there they are? Well, I guess it is the first full length 
But they had a bunch of EPs. They before. had a bunch of EPs, yeah. But this, I think this is probably, yeah, this is this is the thing that, that makes people say, like, if, I, I mean, I think most people would say this is, like, their favorite Seven Seconds album. I think it's great. I love it. It, it just makes me really happy. And, uh, you know, it's short, you know, nice and sh- every song is short. It's just, it's just great. And last couple things, uh, The Cult and The Cure both released records in 84, uh, Dreamtime <laughs> and The Top. And when I was a child, I got them mixed up all the time, even though they sound nothing alike. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually not that familiar with that Cult album. Um, I think the next one is when like, they kind of came into my consciousness. Yeah, it looks like it's a double album as well. It's, uh, oh yeah, there's... A through D sides on that record. So, <laughs> oh, but one's a double or one's a live. So it's one of those where they just stuck a live record in with the the new one. <laughs> kind of cheating, but <laughs> <laughs> it's like their first album, is it? Yeah. Well, they changed their name a bunch of times, so that's the probably the first album as the Cult. Yeah. But they were like the Death Cult, and they were Southern Death Cult, and so <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Where does the top fit in with the uh, the Cure's discography? Is that a? It doesn't look like a very strong record. Oh, it's it's good. A good question you're asking. I I'm not like a super like Cureologist. <laughs> <laughs> oh right, yeah. Um, but I I I made a Cure playlist a, a while back. So if you'd like to check that out on my Spotify, um. So I'm on my Cure playlist. It is 43 songs of my my favorite 43 Cure songs, and the top <laughs> has one song on the playlist, and it is the Caterpillar. Yeah, it's sandwiched between Pornography and the Head on the Door, which are fan favorite records. So yeah, I'm assuming it's uh, not anyone's favorite uh, from this time period. Yeah, it's not bad, honestly. I don't think the Cure have even. I don't. I don't think the Cure have any album that is bad. I think they have a, a few that are like fine, but yeah, I, I think they're one of those bands that actually like. There's nothing that anybody's like, ugh, pyuch, you know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's fine. It's. I think that this album's probably good, kind of like background music. It's. You can definitely have it on. It won't disturb you. You know, it's kind of <laughs> like atmospheric. You know. Yeah, uh, and I looked at a couple other records that came out in 84 that that aren't necessarily considered punk records, but they have a relation or, an, you know, they're, they're adjacent. Uh, Psychedelic Furs put out Mirror Moves, uh, which was a big record for them. Really big. Financially, yeah, yeah like it made them a lot of money. Because uh, <laughs> that's and the one with... It's got a couple. Heaven. Yeah, Heaven. Cowboys, is that on it? Yeah, that one's on there. Um, the Ghost in You, Heartbeat. Yeah. Those yep. are the. Those are all the hits. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, is is it, is it it's it's after Pretty in Pink, but like it hadn't been used because the movie hadn't come out right yet. I don't think. Yeah, and remember, like Pretty in Pink got re-recorded for the yeah. movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I, I like Mirror Moves. I think it's a little bit soft. Mm-hmm. I think that's why a lot of people don't consider it a punk record. Uh-huh. I mean, it's, it's definitely it's definitely not. A, I mean, I don't I don't consider any of that really a, a punk, but I I love I like mirror moves, but I think it's soft. Yeah, 
It, it makes sense. I was looking at a lot of the other like new wave records from around that time period, and it and it kind of lost its punk roots. It's a lot of soft like Thompson Twins and Duran Duran yeah. and that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's um, very much more electronically oriented, synth oriented. Mm-hmm. But a couple records that are kind of important. Um, well, one that's really important to punks in the future, not so much in '84. Uh, the Replacements put out "Let It Be," mm-hmm. which that's a gigantic record uh, and super influential on punk in the 2000s. I guess that's where the real influence goes yeah. from. Like, I don't know. I, I mean, yeah. Well, I mean, with the replacements and alternative rock, like, I don't know. That was important to punk and indie rock throughout the 90s. Mm-hmm. I've heard yeah, so punk's many punk really, really latched onto the replacements and, and started to really name check them, I feel like, in the 2000s. Yeah, it's funny because, like, at the time, it was that there was like a big divide. Like, if, if you were into punk when this came out, you didn't like this. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. and this is, and I've probably talked about this before. Like, I, you know, this is what you do. You, you're a teenager. You are into stuff, and then you're into the next stuff. That's like what you think is like the cooler people are into, and you abandoned the old stuff. So, so that's what I did. I was like t- super into what we called new wave at the time, and replacements fell into that category. I don't, you know, it doesn't doesn't need to make sense right <laughs> just yeah. anything that wasn't on the radio you know that was on like my alternative radio station um we called new waves so <laughs> so replacements were part of that rem was part of that they were underground still and mm-hmm. then i when i got into punk the the people that i was involved with hanging out with thought all of this stuff was stupid and <laughs> So I abandoned it for a long, long time, many years. I, I didn't listen to any of the, like, kind of what I would consider my roots. And I feel sad a little bit about that because, like, I missed out on, like, going to see a lot of these bands back then. I could have seen at small places, and I didn't. I never saw the replacement. Um, and now I wish I had. <laughs> I wish I had seen them then. Not really now. <laughs> Um, and same with the cure i've never seen the cure and i really really regret not seeing them because they played a lot um at small places and and you know remember i was in new york i could have seen like pretty much like any band right come through and i didn't (laughs) because at by this point i was like i'm a punk rocker i don't like that stuff (laughs) and the last thing i'll i'll mention uh is not a punk record at all but a lot of punk bands in the 2000s started listening to him a lot uh bruce springsteen put out born in the usa in 84 <laughs> like i i assume it's because of the gaslight anthem that's why all the punks started listening to springsteen but not a punk artist but uh definitely influential on a, a whole generation of musicians uh like many generations after springsteen started but <laughs> I, I, i'm not even gonna drag us into any conversation about this <laughs> <laughs> I think we've already had that conversation. <laughs> I felt like it was worth mentioning. <laughs> I was going to, when you were asking me like to pick, I was like looking through the list and thinking, and I, I was really close to picking the show and the knife album that came out that year. But I was like, I don't know if this has enough of a broad appeal to, uh, to be talking about show and knife for, uh, you know, however we talk. So <laughs> I, well? I saved you guys from having to talk about show and knife. 
Well, I mean, they're still a relevant band, I feel like. I see their name mentioned quite a bit. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. And I love them. And I and I love that album. So I would have, you know, had a lot of fun talking about it. I think they're great. But, you know, I, I don't know. It just, if I didn't really know what you guys would have to say about Shonen Knife. I don't know either, because I've never really dove into them. So next time you come back, maybe you have to pick one. <laughs> but you did pick a record that we have lots of opinions on uh so let's talk about it uh we are talking about black flags slip it in hey mama come on come on i don't know come on come on this is it kind of got a boyfriend no no this is happening this is the time now okay Why did you pick this record? Um, I picked this record out of all the possibilities of this year because I bought this record. This was this is like a memorable purchase for me. I remember where I bought it, when I bought it, and how it and how it affected me and and like my you know my experience of listening to this new to me and I mean pretty new when it, after it came out. And it's like effect on my life. So that's why I chose this one. Well, so I'll run some basics down. Uh, if you're unfamiliar with Black Flag, um, I'm surprised we've gotten this far without doing a Black Flag record. Uh, we did do a Henry Rollins solo record that did not age well. And we did a uh, Circle Jerks record that we didn't like. Um, <laughs> Which one did you talk about? Wild in the Streets. Yeah. Oh, the second album. And you didn't like it? Neither of you liked it? No, no not really. Not really. It had some okay songs, but uh, overall, I, we 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 decided that uh, we didn't like Keith Morris as a as a vocalist. So, <laughs> uh, Black Flag, we're from Hermosa Beach. Uh, no, are from Hermosa Beach because <laughs> they are still 
Still playing shows. <laughs> uh, they formed in 1976. This is only their fourth studio album, Blink, uh, despite having tons of EPs and singles and comps of material that came out before. Also, this is the third LP Black Flag released in 1984. So they've only done four at this point. <laughs> well, this and is the third of four <laughs> records that were the... released. No, this is the fourth of four. No, this is the... Sorry. This is the third of, of records four records that they released in 1984. Yes. They also released My War and Family Man. And the live album, right? Right. The live album Yeah, it came out in 85. Yeah, um, no? In 84, but not too much. I think they were both released around the same time. Slipped it in in live 84. Yeah, it's, they, they squeezed it in in December of 1984. They were released live in 84. It's actually because this came out in December of 84 as well. Yeah. It's fun. Yeah, so yeah, that's four LPs in one year, including <laughs> a live record. It's a turning point for Black Flag. Personnel on this lineup is Henry Rollins on vocals, uh, Greg Ginn, of course, on guitar, uh, and Kira Rossler on bass, and Bill Stevenson on drums. This is my personal favorite lineup of Black Flag. It may not be my favorite material by Black Flag, but there's something about this lineup that I just really enjoy. It was released on SST Records, which was a busy year for them, because they also released The Minuteman and, and Who's Do and uh, Meat Puppets. Meat Puppets and Saccharine Trust and St. Vitus's first album. Like, they kind of have a big year. And uh, it was produced by Greg and Bill and Spot, who was the house producer for SST. Dylan, why don't you take us into this record? Okay. Um, (laughs) You know, you said that this is your favorite lineup, but not your favorite material. And that makes a lot of sense to me. Because I've always had this lineup in my head as, oh, that's the, the best Black Flag lineup. But you listen to what they recorded, and it's it's not my favorite record. <laughs> but it might be my favorite record from this year. <laughs> by, by them? Yeah. My, yeah. My favorite Black Flag record from 1984. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, it's easy to, if you're uh, going off of our brackets, if you're putting those four records in a playoff, I mean, it's easy <laughs> to eliminate Family Man and, and Live in 84. because. Yeah. I mean, Live 84 is a live record, and Family Man is primarily Henry's spoken word <laughs> and, like, instrumentals. Yeah. So so it comes down to My War versus it, Slip It In. It does, and I I think this one wins, but maybe just barely. But it's, I don't know, it's Black Flag. <laughs> <laughs> like, they've always occupied such a, an important place psychically for me as a punk a really really early discover for discovery for i think both of us getting into punk you know as teenagers just having like scattered minor threat and black flag and bad brains songs on mixed cds Mm -hmm. um i don't know i'm curious to know what ann thinks about this one because you said you have a very you have a very vivid recollection of this record, of buying this record. Yes, yes, I do. And I kind um, of have a similar yeah. time and place feeling about this one, too. But we can get into that later. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I, uh, 
Well, I'll, I'll tell you a li- my little bit about buying and then we can kind of continue going on um, about how we feel. But I bought this. I bought this on cassette, which is why I sent you a picture of a cassette. Yeah. <laughs> I bought this on tape at Bleaker Bob's, is a very well-known record store in New York. That is gone now, of course. Um, but it was like a real like, epicenter of the universe for a lot of people for learning about music. And I remember exactly how this went down. So I, I went to high school in Manhattan. I lived in Queens. I went to high school in Manhattan. And my high school was uptown. And I started go after school. I would go down, t- take the train, a bunch of stops down to 8th Street always 8th street it didn't matter where i was going like in the east village or west village or wherever but like the train stop was always 8th street that was like the center of the universe for me i get off at 8th street i walk to bleaker bobs i'm now i'm in my uniform i i went to catholic school (laughs) i'm in my unit my catholic school uniform so i i bought it in 85 that you know so i'm i'm in my junior year of high school i walk into bleaker bobs and there was in there was like a glass case like the counter like one part of the counter was a glass case and there was like some maybe like extra special singles in there that might have been more expensive I, i don't really remember exactly what why they put stuff in there i walked in i did not even look around i walked right up to that case and inside the case were two cassettes. This cassette, slip it in, and Sex Pistols, never mind the bollocks. And I bought them both. I just said, I want those two tapes. I didn't know anything about the slip it in. <laughs> I, of course, I knew about the Sex Pistols, but I, had, I didn't own anything at, yet at that point. And that's so hard to explain a different name. Like, I couldn't have a Sex Pistols or a record that said slip it in, like an album, these big <laughs> albums. Mm-hmm. in my house so i had to buy them and, and i'm from the tape era that like cassettes were the thing i had to buy them small so that they could be like hidden in like my book bag and i could have them with <laughs> me all the time so that no one my parents wouldn't find them so i go in those two were sitting in there i don't even know if there were any other tapes just those two tapes i don't know i bought <laughs> they, them. Were, they were enshrined they, they were... i like buried them in my book bag my backpack and I turn and I walked out. <laughs> I don't know what else I did. I went home. So I and I had a walk and I put, you know, I remember like later that night after, you know, dinner or whatever, I, I unwrapped the one, unwrapped the other. And I, I think I listened to Sex Pistols first and the, that I can talk about another time. But mm-hmm. I, I listened to this Black Flag, Slip It In. And, and I mean, like both the two together, I mean, my life was just completely upended and changed. And and I already was into punk, like in the sense that I had already been to shows, but I didn't like own punk records really. I had Ramon stuff already, but I didn't have anything like those two things, like in my possession yet. And like, I was like, holy crap. Like I was like turning down, like, oh, I pray to God, no one can hear what's coming out of <laughs> this little ear, you know, the headphones that came with the walk and that, you know, with the orange, you know, fuzzy stuff. They had so no that, isolation. It was just 
blasting out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that that's my I have I haven't even talked about anything about my feelings about my have what I think about this record yet. So maybe we'll keep doing a round robin here talking um about stuff before I do that. But that so that was my very first experience with this album. worried that because we were only going to be talking about one record that we were going to run out of things to say <laughs> and i kept finding stuff to think about and write about in my notes about this record and this time period of black flag it's like this is not a black flag podcast but mm-hmm. our logo is you know a rip on the black flag logo <laughs> uh a little on on the nose you know everybody has a black flag rip these days but it's it kind of stands out weirdly. I, I thought yeah. it was kind of cheap to do it because it was like something quick that Dylan slapped together for us just so we had some artwork for iTunes. And uh, turns out a lot of people liked it. So, <laughs> it's, I mean, it's such a good, the black flag bars are such a good logo. Yeah. Like, and, and also, like, a lot of my notes are about the art and about Pettibone. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or Pettibone. <laughs> I, 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 I yeah. don't know if it's Pettibon or Pettibone, but <laughs> I've always said Pettibon. Pettibon. Yeah. yeah. Pettibon. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that the artwork I could hear a California like Hermosa Beach. Pettibone, man. <laughs> <laughs> it is it's an iconic album cover. And his artwork is already iconic for being on almost all the Black Flag records, a ton of the SST records, a lot of the Minutemen records, who's like tons of bands use their artwork. The most famous thing he ever did was the uh, Sonic Youth Goo album cover. Yeah. So he's an iconic artist, and it represents a very specific time period in American hardcore. And even then, this one stands out this to me. Stand- yeah, personally, like this might be my favorite album cover out of all the Black Flag records. And maybe my f- that Goo album cover is pretty amazing. And even I don't really like Sonic Youth that much, but <laughs> um, I would is... like to talk about the the album cover, like you know, kind of when we get around to everybody getting a chance to say stuff. Yeah, um, we can keep talking about the album cover because it it has a lot <laughs> to do with this record. Uh, it's the first Black Flag record, I believe, to have a woman on the album cover, and it's also one of the first records that Kira plays on, and it has a song that's not one of her favorites either and 
it it's all tied together. Like yeah. it's it's so much about this record is well she's she's famously quoted for when they like when they got the record, her reaction to the cover mm-hmm. was she said something like it was something to the extent of like, Why am I in this band if you guys hate women? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, obviously, woman here. Am I supposed to be offended by it? Because I'm absolutely not in I mean, any way offended by this cover or this record in any way. I don't, I don't really take any offense with the cover. I mean, maybe if I was like a hardcore Catholic, I'd be a little offended <laughs> by the use of a nun. But uh, <laughs> I, I don't. I don't think it's an especially offensive album cover. Maybe, maybe she she also had you know was dealing with those guys every day anyway. Yeah. So yeah. I'm sure that tied in. <laughs> right. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not just denouncing what she said at all. I wasn't. Mm-hmm. I was kind of on a different like wavelength than yeah what she was saying. I mean she she was there. She knows mm-hmm. what it was. Um, yeah. But as far as like the cover and the art, like I was reading, I read a bunch of interviews um, with Pettibon about his art and 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 just and talking about how like you know this i guess some people were saying like oh you, your art is sexist or your your art is mi- misogynist and and he was like you know like i'm not the art isn't me like i'm not mm-hmm. i didn't and and the and the same with songwriting and storytelling like the storyteller the artist they're not telling their story necessarily. You know, most of the time they're telling a story. You know, it's not his story. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. it's a critique of social stuff and, you know, social criticism. You know, the, all of his art is kind of like showing like sadness, loneliness, longing, failure, disappointment, d- you know, d- disturbing images, violence. Uh, you know, not because he's like glorifying that. In my, this is my opinion that mm-hmm. he's, you know, it it's showing it. Mm-hmm. Like I always, I've always felt like her react reaction to the cover is a bit of a misreading of what was intended by it. Because like you wouldn't look at, like you wouldn't look at the Family Man cover and be like, oh, so you think like you should kill your family, right? <laughs> like you, you wouldn't take that literally. Well, so, right, like the same, like lyrics wise. You know, we're we're storytelling. You know, the the people in the songs are the characters. You know what I mean? Like, and 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 you can it can be told wrong. It could be a bad story or or a bad telling of the story. But you know, like every single song isn't somebody's truth. You know, and like the cover, this resonates so much for me, I think, because I grew up Catholic. I went to Catholic school. I was taught by nuns. The 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 quote, you know, because he always has like words with his art mm-hmm. on the yeah. cover. It says nobody knows more than I that the less girls know, the better they are likely to be. Now, I've always read this as the nun saying that. Mm hmm. I don't know if that's the intention. I don't know if that's how people read it, but I know that that is one hundred percent truth from the 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 mouth of a nun. <laughs> you know. Yeah, and even if it wasn't his intent, you know, that's still how you interpreted it. So 
artist intent means something, but once something is out there as far as a piece of art, then it's it's kind of up to everyone else and their own interpretation of it. So, and I would agree with your interpretation of it too. I think it. I think most people do. I don't know if he said that or not. I think I read something that said it wasn't necessarily the nun, but I don't know if that was just like third hand remarks. But it makes it's... sense for it to be the nun. So if it if it wasn't supposed to be, it, it was a happy accident. Yeah. Isn't this funny that we've been talking for a long time about this record and we still haven't said anything about the music? <laughs> it's almost like we want to surprise each other. Yeah. So I, I want to go first. I, I feel like this is one of those records that it's like, I feel like you have to go track by track. I don't, I don't know why. I feel like we did that with the Henry Rollins solo record as well. But there's something about them and how this record is put together and just the sequencing yeah. It, it's, it feels like the only way I can talk about it is if I break it down track by track. So let's just talk about the first track. Slip it in. All right. I'll go first. Uh, it has one of the best guitar lines in any Black Flag song. Kira's bass starts the song off. It's The arrangement is amazing. The performance vocally by Henry Rollins is amazing. It's almost... How long is it? It's a six-minute track. It, that doesn't bother me at all. <laughs> and yet, I think it's a really gross song. <laughs> <laughs> I love everything about this song except the lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> and Henry and um, Susie from L7's uh, simulated sex sounds at the end of the uh, song there. <laughs> it has some icky tones to it that I don't know if we're intentional or it's it's a it's an just reading the song's lyrics out of context or anything it it doesn't really sound like a great song as far as like what they're trying to say it's like about groupies sort of well okay lyrically i've always thought of it as being satirical um mm-hmm. i've always thought of it as being making fun of like big rock and roll getting groupies like it always felt like they were punching up there's maybe one or two lines where maybe they're inhabiting the the character <laughs> too much and it's it feels a little gross but yeah i've i've never taken this song literally hmm. like i've never thought like oh this is what and there's maybe it's just something in the in in henry's performance that communicates that to me cuz I, I think the way he handles it vocally is is really really important to to understanding the lyrics but it's not uh it's not a henry penn song it no. is it is a greg, greg song and greg's kind of gross <laughs> yeah not a cool guy <laughs> what okay now what is your take on this because i imagine when you heard it in 85 it's the first thing on the tape <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know I, I honestly that this is not one of the songs that stands out to me in terms of like like lyrics at that time period. I I don't know why. I don't feel like I have a memory of being like, oh my god, this is so crazy. I mean, it, <laughs> I, obviously, I I was like, oh my god, my parents can't hear this. <laughs> can't um, hear this or see the cover. Can't hear this or see the cover, and it has to come with me everywhere I go. <laughs> and you couldn't do that with an album, so you had I had to have tapes. So, um, I, 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 I kind of don't really remember that 
part specifically of my of my feeling. I think it was more of like, holy fuck, I have these things in as and oh my god, I'm <laughs> I'm a person who does this. I listen to this music. This is me, and I am this. Like it was for me. It was like I belong to this thing that my family and my even my sister would is think is is gross and and awful and so i guess i kind of was like yeah exactly (laughs) right this is crazy now remember too like this is the time period when i was starting to recognize that that i liked women that i Mm -hmm. was gay so i don't know maybe it was less maybe it had less of an impact on me because of that i don't know but Mm. it, it Every single thing about it thrilled me in the sense that this is not for regular people and I am not a regular person and and I'm so excited to be right here right now hearing that. Um, but I, I do want to say, so I have two friends that gave me, well, one friend gave me an opinion about it before we talked. And one friend, I accidentally heard uh, my friend talking about this record just a few days ago. He did a live fa- Facebook live thing. And I was like, oh, I wonder what he's going to talk about today. And boop, he holds up this record and he talked about this record. And I was like, this is so cool because... And at first I was like, no, I can't listen to what he has to say. <laughs> um, but but then I was glad. And I actually um, wanted to mention his, his name and a little bit about him. Um, his name is Malcolm Tent. And he um, owned a record store called Trash American Style, which is like a awesome, great uh, punk record store in Connecticut um, for a really long time. This isn't like a plug or anything. I just want to tell people. You can that. though. I mean, it's totally he's, fine. He's cool. So anyway, he has, um, he, he has, uh, something called T P O S records and he has, he's on discogs and all that stuff. He's, he's a, he's a great fan of music and a great guy and he sells music and he loves music and he talks about music and anybody in, on like, of my time and my, you know, New York and our age, like everyone knows him and he's awesomely cool. So anyway, I really uh, liked what he had to say about this song. And I, I even like took notes about what he said because I wanted to quote him. So Malcolm, I'm quoting you here <laughs> on this podcast. Um, he calls this a morality play. He says, this song is a morality play and it's about stupid messed up people doing things that they 
regret the next day, but they do it again and again and again. <laughs> and I really liked that opinion because my, my other friend, Tony, I, I talk a lot about my friends, Tony and Ron. My friend, Tony thinks this song is, is just gross um, and not, and, and not funny and piggish and a step way, way backwards and not nuanced and not clever and just icky. And he, he's, he thinks like, you know, like a band like the cramps he feels could do things that had like sex and tongue in cheek and it was clever. And, and this, he thinks is just like a sledgehammer of stupidity. <laughs> um, so I thought it was like cool to get these two different opinions about, you know, from people that are like, they're, they're both like around the same age as I am. So honestly, I don't really know what, I don't know what the intention of the song is, but just in terms of the song itself, it's, it's fucking great music. I mean, it's insanely it great music. I mean, if, if you don't like the way this song sounds, then you're not part of our thing. I mean, I, <laughs> I can't even imagine that anyone who loves what we love could hear this song and not think that that music is stunningly amazing. There's like, there's there's like two absolutely kick-ass riffs in this song like and there's the stops and starts and henry sounds incredible just the way he yells slap like that's (laughs) just peak henry rollins it sounds so good (laughs) it's so good and that yeah i remember like listening to that and 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 like getting like just so like psyched up by it like and like waiting for that for him to say the next word you know what i mean and like and so so the other part of listening to it is that so like the next day and so i took the train to schools and I, I it was a packed subway train from queens to manhattan and i i have my catholic school uniform on i'm on the packed train and i have my walkman and i have the headphones on and i'm listening to this in the whole train ride for like the next like 30 days I listened to this and the sex every single day and 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 I remember just looking around at all the regular folks on the train everybody's just going to work or going to school normal normal people and I was like they have no idea what I'm listening to they have no fucking idea what I'm listening to and 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 like I just felt like I was like the most enlightened person on earth. And like, you know, like I said, I was part of like the coolest thing that was ever invented. And like, it just like made like transcended me like out of that train. And you know what I mean? Like, and I just felt like, like my life was like, every time I had an experience like this, it was like another new beginning of like, this is my life. Even the song itself, the way like I'm we're talking about this song right now and I'm imagining it in my head like playing it in my head right now and the just that baseline that starts the whole song off is just pure anticipation like it just le- yeah like you said you're anticipating every word he's going to say before he says it this song is so powerful like it's shocking how good this song is despite whatever take that you have on the lyrics because I've read so many different takes at this point that it's like <laughs> no one really knows. It seems like it's, only it's Greg divisive. knows. It's very divisive, very divisive. But you, yeah, like you said, you can't argue that the music is not amazing. 
That's this... track one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, I kind of, and I kind of, we're going to go track by track, but I, I kind of divide this up into like, for me, it's, it's like, like sort of three group, a grouping of three, like three, two, three. Yeah. I, I, I know what you mean too. And I, mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, we'll get there. We'll get there. Yeah. Let's talk about the second track on the album, Black Coffee. Uh, personally, this is my favorite Black Flag song, period. I learned it on the bass. <laughs> I, today, I listened to this version, three different live versions that they did from various like 84 and 85 recordings. There's an amazing live recording from San Francisco in 84. It's like professionally shot. Uh, it plays like half this record. I listened to the cover by Zayo for the uh, Black on Black tribute album that had like Converge and Coalesce and Dillinger's Gate Plan. I listened to the Kylesa cover, which was for <laughs> a, a Cult Nation tribute of this record, where just they had like a bunch of different bands play every song on this record. I listened to Henry doing the version of it for the tribute to the Black Flag tribute album for the West Memphis Three, which he changes like the timing on it and it threw me off every time you did it <laughs> this is my favorite black flag song and it's nearly five minutes long <laughs> <laughs> and again it's another amazing riff it's a it's a groove that doesn't end it's repetitive in a way he does the chorus four times in this song four or five times <laughs> and I n- want him to do it again every time he finishes it <laughs> I don't know what it is about this song that just like hooks me so hard, but it's, I don't know. It's my favorite black black song completely. This is a really high ranking one for me too. I it's, it's, and maybe it's just everything. Like it's the riff, it's Henry, it's the band together. And this is a great, I mean, these first two songs are such great argument for the Henry, Henry, Greg, Kira, Bill lineup, like the Mm -hmm. way they sound together. It's, just grooving and like just the right amount of sloppy and it's amazing that you can just do this chorus that many times <laughs> for five <laughs> minutes and <laughs> just singing about something as totally mundane as coffee making you anxious <laughs> <laughs> and it it's awesome i agree i love it i think it's a, a great song and i think it it's a great it it just flows right into this song you know what I mean? Like, it's a good pairing. It, it, like I said, I have my little groupings. You know, I think these first three together are just phenomenal. And uh, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. The next song is Wound Up. It's it's the lesser of the three. And you're right. I group, I group the first three together, the next two together, and the last three together. Wound Up's probably the lesser of the first three tracks. It has a little bit more of a damaged vibe. But Henry's great here. It has a it has a really good guitar line. Uh, it doesn't. It, it's missing a hook. I think it doesn't quite have the uh, vocal hook that it needs. But this is an example. Like if you take, I would say if you take these three songs and maybe what Loose Nut and Annihilate this week the songs and like throw them on together as like a single release, it would be the best thing personally. I would consider that the best thing Black Flag did. Yeah. Wound Up is, is interesting. It, it, is, it is not as well known 
as the other two songs. A great get, uh, Greg Gen Solo. Um, mm-hmm. Really, really good guitar playing on a record where <laughs> Greg would not execute great guitar solos <laughs> consistently. Well, there's a little more to say about his guitar playing on some of the later tracks, but this is a great one. This is a Henry song written by Henry lyrically. Hmm. Kind of a common lyrical theme for him. Yeah, that makes sense to yeah. say. And I agree with what you guys have said. It's it's the lesser of the first three, but still really good. And like, like I like I like it so much. And I'm you know again like going back. I'm on the train listening to this. You know I get so well. Oh, remember I can't sing, you guys. So so sorry. <laughs> I mean like I'm the worst. <laughs> And, you know, I feel so let down. Like, <laughs> uh, being, like, on the train of 15 or whatever, however old I was, and, not, you know, like, going to Catholic school, and, you know, it's kind of like, you know, you know, maybe, like, my version, almost of, like, a clocked in. Like, you know, it's kind of like, you know, like, oh, you know, I don't know. I don't know how to explain what I'm trying to say, but it's just, you know, you, it just meant a lot to me. This And even, even, like, into the next song, like, where now I've put the next two into a kind of a different category. If, if I could kind of move into that one. Yes. If you guys don't yes. So, I mean, the next song is rat size, which is, you know, it's not like this great song. It, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of like, okay, what? <laughs> You're kind of like, Oh, a little bit of a letdown after those three really good songs, but I, I still like the song and this one, for some reason, I have a lot of memories and feelings of, listening to this song on the subway rides and thinking about the me being the person who sees the world through rat's eyes like looking at all these people on the train and like and and now that i'm like thinking of myself as not different than them and i distinguish myself as different than all these regular people you know what i mean so (laughs) actually this song actually kind of and it's it's kind of a it's a dumb song. <laughs> I mean, I'm not trying to like. But there's no way I can say like this is a really good song. But it it fit a moment for me, and I kind of put myself into the place of the the person, the narrator. So I put, I think Rat's Eyes and the next song, Obliteration. I think these two songs are the reason why people don't like this record, or why this record is so divisive. Yes, I would agree with that for sure. It's yeah. smack in the middle. It undercuts all the momentum that the first three tracks set up. One, because Rat Size is so slow and repetitive. I feel like this song would have been better on the back end of the record. It's like I think it should have been more towards the end. It would work a little more there. I get it. They were kind of trying to change up the pace of the album because it's been pretty right. fast up to this point, but... If you're listening to this uh, on a record, it is the last song on A side. Yeah, but, but the next song, <laughs> then you're gonna start the next, the other side with the next song. <laughs> yeah, that's where it really drags. See, Rat's Eyes. I get why people don't like it. It's repetitive, and but it's also not as long as the three songs before it. Why does it feel much longer, it though? It feels a lot longer. <laughs> and it, it doesn't have any of the excitement and the, you know, the riffs and the move. It doesn't move. It, it 
crawls. <laughs> but and I mean, always that found goes it kind of interesting. Like right, that at goes the same with time, lyrics and what the song is trying to. You know what I mean? It like sonic. If you want to say sonically, do I ever use that word? <laughs> um, you know, put it meant the sound matches what it's supposed to be. It's a it, weird performance for Henry. Like he like he gets really quiet and he really like tries to do this raspy like weird voice like it's an it's a weird it's a weird one for him <laughs> um he also wrote the lyrics to this one mm-hmm. but I, you know when it starts i'm like oh here it comes here's rat's eyes but then by the end of it i'm like that's that's not actually a bad song like <laughs> it's just different but i feel like it stands out to me more than maybe a lot of the b-side of my war because uh, <laughs> that's the you know that's the famous like what are they doing <laughs> turn for for black flag and in, in terms of like that proto sludge like super slow hardcore and i i feel like rat's eyes here accomplishes that better definitely better than obliteration god Oh, I think I think people give it such a bad rack because it's like Rat's Eyes kills the momentum and then follows with obliteration, which is a long. Is it long? It feels long. It's, it's a, almost, almost six minutes. minutes. Yeah, it's a boring instrumental song where Craig is just noodling on his guitar. Yes, and it's like <laughs> if you'd put maybe if you'd flipped Rat's Eyes and wound up, maybe this would be more well regarded. But it's the combo right in the middle that I think that it's just like ugh. The end of one side and the beginning of the next that <laughs> turns people off. It feels like the side B of my war sort of thing. And you're right, Rat Size is a better song than most of the B side of my war. So, <laughs> yeah, it, it it gets undeserved hate, I think, due to its placement on the record. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't like hate. Like it's not like I hear it and I go, oh, I hate this song. I, I hear it and I I just say like I don't want to hear this song. Like I'm. <laughs> I mean that's not the same as hate though right. you know what i mean like like if if i had to hear it i'm not like saying oh this is horrible i just don't <laughs> want to hear it. but i'm not i'm not a huge fan of instrumental songs yeah. in just in general so like i don't and i've wondered i've wondered like is it like is there any kind of like gendered thing with like hearing instrumental songs but you know like boys like instrumentals more <laughs> i don't know but um yeah it's just it's just a wasted space that something else could have been there or just you know, you know? It, it's the damage too yeah. of this record yeah. and yeah that's the worst part of damaged <laughs> yeah and and I, I hate I, I hate instrumental songs too. I don't hate instrumental songs. I don't I don't click with instrumental songs myself. But the only people I know who do really like instrumentals are dudes. So I don't <laughs> know. I don't... <laughs> and and are they all ones that play instruments? <laughs> who, A majority who want to be the ones playing that noodling. <laughs> yeah, it it is mostly only interesting if you're a guitar player. But as a guitar player who does a lot of this kind of like noodling (laughs) listening to obliteration is like what I imagine hearing me trying to write a guitar solo sounds like, (laughs) which is I don't want to listen to it. Like I can appreciate what he's trying to do, but it, and it, and it's the whole like Greg Ginn's like, 
I'm doing free jazz. Like, you're not. You're not. <laughs> you're not. <laughs> um, I'm sorry, but... <laughs> yeah, because, honestly, the next song is The Bars. Yeah. And it it's a great song. It's a... It, it's a Henry and Chuck Tukowski song. Uh, it, I think it came from like some early demos originally, because um, Chuck's not in the band at this point. And it's a good song. It it has some earlier Black Flag vibes, like I guess more Damaged Era vibes. Um, it's got a good bass and drum intro, like Kira and Bill killing it. On again, they they are the best rhythm section of Black Flag period. I think. It's got you know it's got a it's got like a driving beat to it, but then the guitar has a lot of these extended like notes. It's not a ton of strumming, but vocally it's really strong. It, it it's good. It's a really good song. I think it should have started the B side. I think Obliteration shouldn't have been on the record at all. But <laughs> <laughs> it should have been obliterated. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a really good song, and definitely it it would have definitely changed the the whole uh tone and reception uh of this album if it had been the the first song on the b-side for sure yeah it's interesting it's a really underrated song in mm-hmm. in black flags discography and it's really strong like it struck me and like at first i was thinking like well maybe like is this just like kind of refreshing after you know rat's eyes and obliteration mm-hmm. but I've listened to this song separately on its own today and was really struck by it again. Like it's, it's a really, really good song. Everyone sounds really, really good together again. Like this is one of those great moments. One of those great examples of this lineup, what they could do. I love Bill's snare roll on it. It's in the way it locks in with, with Henry's uh, vocals. It's, it's awesome. And then it goes into My Ghetto, which is 
It's often called the first power violence song. I don't necessarily agree with it. Uh, I yeah, think... I don't agree with that either. I'm not sure I understand where that comes from. Yeah, I was I... reading about that too, and I was like, "What?" I don't. I really don't get it. Because like, was grind really a thing yet in '84? I feel like not really. I think no. Napalm Death was a little later, as far as popularizing. It's it's a short song, but like Black Flag had way shorter songs prior to this. You know, Rise Above is not long. You know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, or if like it, like power, if power violence. Here's how it is uh, explained: extremely dissonant and fast subgenre of hardcore punk, closely related to thrashcore and grindcore. I mean, do, uh, that's this song to me doesn't fit that description. No, it just feels like nervous. Uh, um, Nervous Again era, you know, Black yeah. Flag. Yeah. I didn't, just short, I didn't fast. get that. Because in 84, there's shorter, faster, more dissonant hardcore songs. Yeah. I don't like, know why this particular song is the one that people point out. Because it doesn't sound anything like a, uh, like a power violence song to me. I think yeah, I don't even know that song. I even remembered that power <laughs> violence existed until I started re- like studying again about this. And I was like, oh, right, that that was like you know short you know i mean there's not that many bands that like fall into power violence you know it wasn't like man is the bastard and about yeah. a sea they C. Bl- they blend together with a lot of grind bands too um but, i mean i don't know well okay maybe man is the bastard is the connection because man is the bastard is definitely very influenced by this era of black flag as far as like fast dissonant yeah. and slow sludgy stuff, maybe that's where people are drawing that line. But it def it, that it just feels like a a, a revisionist like oh mm-hmm. this is like this is basically like people do that all the time with like <laughs> every you know they'll they'll find a Brian Eno song and say oh this is like shoegaze like <laughs> ten years early and it's like no it's just weird Brian Eno <laughs> like people who are like oh the who were like proto punk it's like they weren't really nope. I mean, they were really <laughs> influential to punk bands but <laughs> they're just a fast rock band yeah <laughs> well it's even like my friend ron says that like what we what, what everyone now calls psychedelic like the, the the music from the 60s that we call the psychedelic era and he said that that they did not use that word that was not at all any you know that was li- a later creation to mm-hmm, yeah. put that word onto that music <laughs> and then i guess we can talk about the last track on the record uh you're not evil it's fine <laughs> it's um it's really good for being seven minutes long yeah <laughs> with a lot of noodling i'd say it's probably the second Third. weakest song on the record second weakest not that yeah yeah, I think you Rat's Eyes is Rat a little, I would because Rat's Eyes is going for something, and it, yeah. and, it, and I get what they're doing. I just don't like you, like you said. I just don't want to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> this I actively dislike. I think I don't. It's too long, and it's too much what obliteration is. Just with Henry singing. Yeah, I, I hear that, and I'm not a fan of long songs ever. Um, but I don't. I don't know. I don't mind it. I feel like it kind of. Kind of brings the album like out, you know. It, it takes you out 
and it and, and it's fine especially because the song before it is very short there's you know yeah much shorter than anything else on the album yeah yeah and they they run into each other. It, it makes sense you have a super short song and then a really long song so they pair well together yeah and that's what i like about the the pairings of the songs you know the the groupings mm-hmm. The first three and then these last three. Um, like, I I feel like, though, you know, forget about the, the middle two. Let's not even, let's pretend that those aren't here. <laughs> <laughs> like, if those weren't on the album, I, I feel like this album, I mean, do they, I got 50 thoughts going. Let me go with one. Yeah. Without those two, I feel like it's, this album is, like, more cohesive, like, in a way that none of the other albums are in terms of this is, it feels like it's an album meant to be the first song to the last song. Like it, it feels like it's supposed to be an album of these songs are mm-hmm. also be together. Like, I don't know that I feel like any other album has this level of that cohesiveness, even with its flaws, because like every album is flawed. They, they don't have a 10 album, you know, an album that you're going to give a 10 to not yeah. my, my opinion. Even like damage, you know, it's great. Has great songs, but I mean, it's really a pe- that's just a lot of pieces put together. Yeah. Um, you know, and then and then other stuff. It, it it's oh something always like ruins the album. <laughs> Some, you know, there's an obliteration on every album. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> the last half of my war. Like right? <laughs> there's um, in my head, which is just like who likes in my head. <laughs> Right. <laughs> Loose Just... Nut has two good songs and a <laughs> bunch of like nothing. And then yeah. even the two good songs have a weird production value to them. Loose yeah, Nut it's... has a strange like late 80s production value to it yeah so i mean i don't know if they just i mean they just do themselves in every time by ruining it with stuff <laughs> but it, you know what i mean like if you could like redo this record take those two out and just have it be you know, the first three and the other three. Like, that would be, like, a, a kick-ass, tight record, you know? Yeah, it would. It would be, a, like, a tight record. It'd be. I think it'd be well-regarded. Yes. It would probably be considered the second best record. Uh, I, still, I still regard this album highly, despite those two songs, though. Do you, you like this one more than My War? Yes. Yeah, yeah I think yeah. that that B-side of My War... Just it's such kills a that record. Yeah, my, and I, I don't, I just feel like my war just doesn't have a groove. Like you, I don't feel like I get into a groove with my war. Like this I one, like... I get into a groove, even with rat size. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna allow rat size mm-hmm. in this thing. I'm, I'm only obliterating obliteration because rat size, I feel like, still gives me a groove personally because of my experience with it. You know, I, I feel like you really move from song to song and you're in it, you're in I'm in it, I'm in it. My war, I feel like like I'm in it, then I'm not in it, then I am again, and then I'm not, and then I'm really not. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, you know what? what? Rat so size can oh, go ahead. Rat size can stay if you resequence the record, but you have to get rid of obliteration. <laughs> you must. You must. So <laughs> I would I would move rat size to the B side. I don't know if you can even make this fit. On the B side, uh, move rat size to the B side between the bars and my ghetto. Perfect. All right, <laughs> all right, I'll I'll take that. <laughs> what is it about Black Flag that is that's so fun to like just break it apart like this to to dissect? 
Is it just the misses? (laughs) (laughs) Is it just like the extremity of like great to bad songs? Maybe because I feel like if we were talking about damaged, we wouldn't break it down as much. You'd be like, yeah, there's three good songs in a row and then a bad one. Like, (laughs) (laughs) and you know, what's funny. We spent this whole time talking and, and, you know, we didn't get into that conversation that always happens when people talk about Black Flag. Who's your favorite vocalist? And now, of course, we're talking about a specific album, so we didn't have to get into that. But I- I'm glad we didn't, because it-, it wasn't, like, required for this conversation. You know what I mean? Right. And I- there was a Hard Times article that I even shared today that was, uh, I-, I really do want to call this out because it's such a great, headline that they wrote uh it is punk dad really only able to homeschool kids on history of black flag lineup changes <laughs> and it's yeah it is it's the discussion that always happens are you are you a keith morris fan are you a dez fan are you a chavo pederast fan <laughs> <laughs> but can we i don't want to get into this conversation but i do want to say you were talking about circle jerks earlier and it came down to that you don't like his voice is that what you said yeah, I just think he's kind of weak. I think he's the weakest yeah. of the of the three greats. If the, you know, I think Nobody. he. I, I, I'm only going to talk about. I'm not going to unless you guys want to talk about it. But I, I will say, I think he's the weakest of the Black Flag vocalists. Um, I don't think Black Flag songs are fit his style of singing and the and his like tongue in cheek almost like he's mm-hmm. like i feel like he's always winking <laughs> and I, I feel like that circle jerks music and their style is much more a, a, apropos for for his voice and that and i appreciate him in circle jerks and i and i think he, i love off i think off is fab fabulous fantastic awesome um but yeah I, I i just think he's like light for black flag he's he just doesn't have like that like gravity that i want yeah uh, i take it henry is your favorite no no oh um, you, uh, oh I, I'm not a I'm not a one of these people that has to have a favorite and like yeah. hit them all against each other honestly like it, that doesn't interest me however i really like would say probably ron chavo is probably has my favorite voice but of course i mean henry did all this stuff and of course i you know how could you for someone to say henry's my fourth favorite is i think is ridiculous (laughs) like he's he sang on like all the albums you know what i mean like come on and but you I, can do I, that, though, you know? Forcing me to rank them, I would say I probably, like, enjoy the sound of Chavo, Ron's voice, the most. But Henry is is the one there, so he's next. Um, and then Dez, and then Keith. But I, I don't hate any of them, and I would happily listen to every single one of them sing all of these songs. <laughs> well, or practically any other dumb music that people listen to <laughs> <laughs> i mean you're right it is it's the most tired conversation you can have about black flag so yeah we don't have to get into like the merits Sorry, of each yeah, member but they all served a I purpose love, i love like all the early stuff i mean i love listening to everything went black i mean for a long time i said that's my favorite black flag record you know which you know is kind of silly to say but because but i love it and you get to hear like the same song 
three times by three different folks. <laughs> and the thing is, it worked out all with three good. But like Ron saying, like, gimme, 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 to me, like, you you kind of can't beat that. That that might be like my favorite black flag moment. But uh, but no, I, I, I dig this stuff. Like, you, like I said, I like this, what we're talking about, this album. I don't really go past this album, though. No, there's not really a lot of reason to. Well, that I reminds would... me of my we can my kind of time and place with this record. Oh um, yeah, wow, full circle. <laughs> I so I have a very very vivid memory of sitting in my yard in 2009, the summer of 2009, after my first year of college. I had started dating someone, and we had broken up. Within that year, we're married now. (laughs) (laughs) But I was a heartbroken 19-year-old punk stealing wireless from my neighbor's house (laughs) and downloading music. (laughs) And that summer, I I basically did the Black Flag discography because I think at that point, I hadn't really listened to all of their records. So I have these these vivid memories of listening to my war and family man and slip it in and yeah. And then loose nut. And then it, I stopped that. I mean, <laughs> like two good songs on that record, <laughs> but I don't, it's, it's funny to have that. And, and, and black flag, like I have all of these, like, cause I have a, you know, I have a black flag shirt that I bought at hot topic in like 2008. And I remember wearing that shirt, all these, different places and having all of these funny interactions and people projecting like their opinion on black flag. And they're asking the, what's your favorite. And I remember standing in line to see off with their heads and against me and the guy in line in front of us, like turns and sees my black flag shirt and asks me, what's my favorite lineup. And I think (laughs) I probably was like, I probably said the slip it in lineup or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) And but then he I, scoffed and walked away. <laughs> I think he agreed. Uh, I think he agreed. <laughs> and I remember wearing that shirt and having like playing a show with my death metal band. <laughs> <laughs> and like one of the other bands that played the show, like the guy just like yelling the lyrics of probably six pack at me. <laughs> <laughs> and it's my uh, it's my proudly uh, obliterated. Uh, <laughs> black flag shirt <laughs> that is I covered in grass stains because I wore it playing frisbee <laughs> and slipped and got it covered in grass stains and it has all these like holes in it from being washed and it's it's just appropriately destroyed <laughs> the perfect amount of wear for a black flag shirt you can't wear a clean <laughs> black flag shirt with like you got to cut the sleeves off. My, or you, my sleeves of mine are totally cut off. <laughs> you, you have to destroy it, whether the intentionally only... or accidentally. Like it's, it can't be perfect. <laughs> it is so funny that they chose like a white shirt. It's the most iconic <laughs> shirt from that time period is a, a right. white shirt. It's gonna get sweaty. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I have a question for you guys. Um, to maybe it's just sort of start wrapping it up. Um, yeah. Have have either of you seen any version of a flag, a black flag, anything? No, 
The only thing I've seen is Henry Rollins doing spoken word. <laughs> Those are fun. <laughs> I love Henry Rollins spoken word. It's yeah, genuinely entertaining. I think it's wonderful. Um, one like a really, really love. I've only seen him do it one time, and I thought it was really, really an amazing experience to like watch an entire crowd of punk rockers just standing like wrapped at attention listening to him speak it was really as he i saw him at cbgb it was fascinating just to watch that like and he was great of course i loved it um but just what, like watching the crowd like like and watching them watch him and like you know what i mean like to be mm-hmm. like in this venue where you've seen tons and tons of bands and usually there's so much like movement and action and noise and now it's like silent he's just talking it's really interesting what era of the his spoken word was it was it like the more poetry type stuff or like the more uh, like no, storyteller? no he was storytelling talking yeah um so uh I, I guess it probably still lived in new york at the time i don't so it might have been like nine ninety. 1990. Okay, 90? when he he kind of made that switch right around that time. Yeah, he was publishing poetry books, but it wasn't. He didn't do poetry reading at yeah. this, this. This was probably like the beginning of like really just like talking. Yeah, the actually interesting stuff because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't really want to hear him read poetry. <laughs> no, 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 no. But I I have seen one incarnation um, of this band. <laughs> which, which one did you get? <laughs> I didn't get the good one. <laughs> oh. I didn't get a good one. Oh, um, no. I got so all right. Well, I'm trying to remember like when, whenever like they first reformed. Maybe like was it like 2013? Maybe you got the what the era. Black yeah, it was so bad, and I was so sad because I'd never seen them before. It was I think actually what the was like had come out like the, that day. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. I was so sad. And the thing is, though, it was Ron singing. You know, Chapo. Like, I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to see. Okay. I was like, all right. It's not like Black Flag, but I'm going to see Chavo and I'm going to see Greg Ginn. And I didn't realize, I guess I was like out of the loop. I didn't realize Greg Ginn was like a douchebag. Because <laughs> uh, like I met, he was, I met him that night and I took my picture with him. And then later I was like, oh, everybody hates him. Um, <laughs> but anyway, uh, so I saw that tour um, and it was mostly bad and but I still had fun because I always still have fun. I had fun anyway. And I'm saying that for my friend Ron, <laughs> um, who was with me and Tony was with me. And we all had fun anyway. And my friend Kelly. And it was like kind of like a, a New York, like punk rock school reunion. Because like literally every person I ever knew in the punk scene in New York was there because, you know, it, it's like, you know, Black Flag got back together ish. Yeah. We have to go. We're gonna see all our friends, and you know, so Ryan and all these other people. So that part was super fun, and I, I mean, had a great time. At but, least but you got to see. At least you got to see one of the classic singers, and not like Mike. What's his name? Vallali. <laughs> no, I did not see Mike Vallali. I got to see that that because Ron wasn't was only on for like that little bit of that tour, right? Mm-hmm. That, and I don't think anymore. Now I I. You know, of course, everyone's like, you should see Flag. Mm-hmm. You know, 
said, they're great. And I'm sure they, they're great and they sound great. But then, you know, it is Keith singing. And I'm like, well, I like, I like him as Circle Jerks and I like him and off. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Do they even do Flag anymore? Have they been stopped from doing that? Um, yeah, I don't think it's happened recently. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. but, but anybody I know that saw Flag said that it was fantastic. So, you know, and I trust those people. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, never seen any any version of Black Flag Live. I, we almost got to see Rollins Band yeah. with X. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right oh, when Rollins Band. I forgot about that. I've seen them several times. This was the lineup. This was like the reunion of the original lineup. So like, because you know they had that weird split where like basically the band was what Mother Superior was the name of that band or something. Oh yeah. So like they he did like a reunion tour with the guys from the first like three or four like the good Rollins Band records. Um. And uh, and then, like, right after that, he was like, I don't want to see any of these people ever again. You know? <laughs> just, just being Henry. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was never like, I never got into this band. I mean, they were, like, seeing them live was fine. And seeing Henry live is good. He's, you know, he's good to see live. Yeah. You know, um, performer. I saw them open up for the Beastie Boys. Wow. Wow, that'd be a wild show. Um, <laughs> it, it was a really fun show. Um, and, like, they kind of. You know, they they kind of came out together. He came out and you know goofed around with them a little bit. And they had Kate, like Kate, the original BC Boys drummer, came and played a bunch of songs with them. And that was super cool. And I, then I saw them at Rollins Band at like a a work tour thing, <laughs> like like the one or like I think I went to work for like two times just because the Ghoulies were there. But. Well, we talked nearly for two hours. <laughs> About one black flag we record. Had one record. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. I did not expect that. <laughs> oh wow! Thank you so much for coming back and being our first guest back in our new format. Thank uh, you for having me back. I'm I'm so happy that we did this, and uh, I think we need. I think we needed to do this for sure. Yeah, I I. I had when I de- even when I decided that we should start doing the show again, there was still a part of me that was very hesitant to get it going. And then we had our conversation with Adam, and it just like invigorated me to get the previous episode edited and done, start lining up people because I I missed doing this, and I didn't know I missed it, or maybe I just need the outlet. But yeah, it's been fun doing these again, and uh, I. Th- Honestly, I think these are some of the best ones we've done um, in a while. So, uh, thank you. I will come back anytime. Oh yeah, for sure. We're we need to have you on for a bracket episode (laughs) because that was so much fun. You can get a lot of hate mail though if you have me on for a bracket episode. I don't even know what they sound like, but I picked them anyway because I I just think the other band is stupid. (laughs) (laughs) We. We'd get you a lineup. We'd have you approve every band that we entered on there before we uh, start the... It'd be funny, though, if it was like that. I mean, it's probably funnier if it was like that than if it was all things I actually liked. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, you know, it'd be funny if there's, like, you know, whatever. What was the what was the one on the top right? The very top right? Of of uh, of ours? Yeah. Of the, the pop punk one? Yeah. It was uh, Blink-182. Or top no, right was, oh, Goldfinger right. versus oh, AFI. Yeah, I was like, oh, 
anger. What the fuck? Like, <laughs> I mean, really? Come on, guys. <laughs> but you know, remember, I'm an old person. Well, we'll have you on for the <laughs> Midwestern emo episode. <laughs> <laughs> I think I saw Goldfinger. I Probably. I saw, because I think they played with Les and Jake, and I've seen Les and Yeah, that sounds right. Do you have anything you want to plug as far as social medias or your website? Um, just, you know, the machine shop rocks.com and it's still going strong. Actually, it has been busier than ever uh, with the, everybody sitting around at home. That's <laughs> um, awesome. But it's, I'm still, I'm sending things out. I'm being safe and careful with packing and, and all that kind of stuff. And no one else is like access to any of the stuff, but me, um, and um my I, I did I plugged my friend's thing, T P O S Records. So, you know, just being a good buddy to my friend Malcolm Tent. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's pretty much it, you know. Just rocking, doing my thing. Well, uh we'll have no we'll have uh, links to all those in the notes. And uh one yeah, one of our favorite things is about the show is being able to promote our friends and uh people we've met along the way. So I plug anybody you know that you want to and uh we have all the same social medias as always. Uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at Pod. We have a voicemail line. Well, I haven't received a message in a long time, but I haven't really been plugging it that hard. Uh, it's 202-688-PUNK. It's 202-688-PUNK. Leave us a voicemail. Tell us your favorite lineup of Black Flag. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't even talk about the fact that Kira is like an Emmy Award winner. Or like, rest of her life. She's... I watched so many videos of Black Flag from 84 and 85, and I just loved watching her and Bill, like, yeah. in time together. They are, I read a lot of excerpts from that uh, book, Spray Paint the Wall, for yeah. this episode, and it just made me fall in love with both of them. I was like, I didn't realize how much I liked both of them. I already liked Kira, but, like, them in the band together. Yeah, know, really great. They're amazing. Yeah, and we didn't even talk about that her brother was in Grave and the Screamers, so we'll talk about that someday, too. He was in 45 Grave, too. 45 Grave, the Screamers, and, like, a bunch of other bands. So, <laughs> DC3. Yeah, I mean, Black Flag is a limitless fount of <laughs> discussion. <laughs> but uh, I guess that'll do it for this week, and uh, thank you, everyone, for listening.